Why don't you get your Bibles and let's open our Bibles together uh, to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, and uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. And so if you don't have one, uh, our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And I just got to tell you, I am fired up to be back with you. I missed you last week. And uh, today, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to continue preaching through our six distinctives as a worshiping and sending church. These are the things that we are committed to pursuing together at Harvest. And, and I've got these six distinctives for you on the screen. Here's the things that we've been preaching through, all right? First is passionate worship, because we want to get to the glory of God. We want to experience that. Then bold preaching, fervent prayer, and my man Will did an incredible job of preaching God's Word on prayer last week. So thankful for his ministry to us. And you can see that those those are the three worshiping distinctives. Now we're kind of turning the corner to being a ascending church. And, and, and here are the distinctives we're going to be preaching on. Courageous evangelism, purposeful disciple-making, and strategic church planting. I'm going to be a worshiping and sending church because the vertical worship of our God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission, making disciples of all nations. And what we've been saying is that a worshiping and sending church is full of disciples who love Christ and live sent. Are you doing that? Are you on that mission? Um, All right, I want to wake you up here. Uh, how many of you have uh, ever seen any of the uh, you had one job memes? You seen these? All right, I got a couple of these for you. All right, you had one job. And you didn't do that one very well. Uh, here's, here's one. This guy was uh, given the task of painting stop on the road. I mean, can you just, come on, bro, you had one job. And can you imagine getting all of that work done? And, and honestly, I think if you... Uh, blew through this and got pulled over for not stopping. I think you have a pretty good case. It's not your fault, right? Uh, you had one job, dude. How about, how about this guy? He was supposed to make a sign and hang it out at the school, a school-free drug zone. Dude, you had one job. Pretty safe to say this guy is not getting invited to the PTO meetings. Um, or, or, or how about this employee at Walmart who is supposed to have a a rollback sign. It's your job to put up the rollback sign. This this hamburger helper is now two dollars. It was a dollar twenty six. Now you're paying two bucks. Either you had one job, or he's just rubbing inflation in your face. Um, or how about this this company that was making a Batman backpack? Does that look like Batman to you? Um, or Old Navy flip flops? How about how about these? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the Canadians are proud of the British flag, but come on, Old Navy, you had one job. Um, or this one, this might actually be my favorite. Um, so, so somebody was charged and did all this work and made the, 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 the center logo look so good. And you realize, just five yards off, you had one job. I got to say, this looks conspicuously a lot like the Minnesota Golden Gophers, doesn't it, Ryan Shaughnessy? Uh, Row the boat. So anyway, thought that was fun. You had one job. Hey, Harvest, listen, look at me, look at me. You have one job. 
The reality is, is that God has not only saved you and, and rescued you from empty, the emptiness of worthless pursuits, of doing things that don't really matter, but God has given you a job. He's given you a mission, and the mission is to make disciples. That's why we're here. But if you're going to make disciples of Jesus, then it's got to start with courageous evangelism. I mean, if they're going to be disciples of this guy Jesus, they got to hear about this good news of who Jesus is. And, and, and so it starts with believers having the courage to open up their mouths and proclaim and tell people about the good news of the gospel. You have one job. The question is, are you doing your job? How are you doing at your job? Are you sharing your faith? Are you telling people about Jesus, because I don't think any of us want to get to the end of our lives and realize that, oh man, we spent a lot of time doing a whole lot of stuff. We were super busy, but we failed to do the one job that Jesus gave us to do while we're here. We're going to get after this, okay? Courageous evangelism, we're going to see it here in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, I'm at the end of the chapter here. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. Uh, You follow along with me as I read verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me give you a big idea of this text if you're taking notes. Here it is. Listen, listen. God is sending you into the harvest to courageously evangelize the lost. It's going to make this personal, okay? This is not just the job of the church. God is sending you, and this is the harvest. This is the work that he has called us to do to courageously evangelize the lost. Father, I pray that even in this moment, um, you would speak to us, speak to us from your word. We're just going to uh, confess to you that uh, maybe this is something that, that we haven't been doing a great job of. Lord, I love to hear um, how some of uh, our brothers and sisters are really getting after this and wanting to live sent. And, and uh, I pray that you would encourage us from your word. I pray that we would have the confidence that this is true and this message is, is glorious and we want others to come to know you and love you as Savior and Lord and And so, Lord, I pray that you would even convict our hearts where necessary. And uh, it's pretty simple, uh, but we just want to be faithful to this job. We want to be able to get to the end of our lives and know that we uh, spent it well and we accomplished the one thing that you've told us to do. And it starts with this. So I pray that you would help us uh, to be bold and courageous as we share this good news with others. And we'll give you the praise and the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, let me um, just ask you really quickly, are you, are you doing what God has sent you to do? Um, and, and I want, in this moment, um, as we dive into Mark chapter 9, I, I think it's time for us to take uh, 
like a checkup, okay? This is kind of like going to the doctor. We're going to do a wellness visit, and the doctor's just going to give us a little bit of a test to see how are you doing in this area of courageous evangelism. So here are, um, here's a test. These are four questions that we're going to see, four heart-probing questions to evaluate and assess how we're doing on courageous evangelism. And honestly, every single one of these questions that we're going to see here is just a yes or no. Check, yes, this is true in my life, or no, it's not true, and something really needs to change. It's that simple, okay? So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Uh, Note this. Do you care about the lost? Yes or no? Do you care about the people around you who don't know Christ, maybe there are people that are lost in their sin, maybe they're suffering uh, under the consequences of sin and they're running after things that you know are not going to satisfy them and maybe they're they're living under the illusion that that they're okay when they're really not. Does it do something inside of you to know that the people that you come into contact with every single day are literally on their way to hell if they don't trust in Jesus as their Savior? Do, Do you care? Do you care about the lost? Well, we'll look at the example of Jesus here. Verse 35, we we get this uh, summary of his ministry in Galilee. And and I love, um, look look at what he did. It said that Jesus went throughout the cities and villages. Just notice right there. Stop right there. Notice, Jesus goes to them. Like he doesn't set up shop somewhere and just expect everybody to come to him like they can, you know, sign up for a, a, an appointment with the Genius Bar if they feel like they need some help or if they've got a question. Jesus knows that they need him, and so he goes to them. I think there's some significance for us there on that. But look what he does. He's, he's teaching, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he's healing all their diseases and all of their afflictions. Here's what he's doing. He's helping them understand the truth. And he's proving to them this, this, this good news that, that the kingdom that they have always waited for has finally come. And it's through him. And he is the only one who has the power to set all things right. That's awesome news. And he's got to bring it to them. And, and look, I love this. Look at what he does, verse 36. Look at his reaction. When he saw the crowds, do you see it there in the text? When he saw the crowds, he had what? Man, circle that. He had compassion for them. Jesus cared. It, it, when, when, when Jesus sees people, it moves him deeply. I, I just imagine, here's Jesus going around to the cities and, and these villages. It says he would get up in the synagogues and he'd start teaching or he'd start preaching. He's preaching a sermon. I imagine right in the middle of the sermon, he just stops. Because he gets all choked up and, 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 and tears start coming down his face as he looks out and he sees a, a, a desperate dad bringing his little girl, carrying him to Jesus to see if Jesus can heal this sickness that she has before, before she dies. Or, or, or he, he sees that single mom who's just worn out and like all but given up hope. Or he sees that... Um, that successful businessman out there. And everybody else is looking at that guy, and they're like, man, he's got it all together. But, but, but deep down inside, that guy's kind of disillusioned and miserable. And Jesus looks and he sees uh, widows 
that are hurting and they feel so alone and he and he sees teenagers that think they got it all together and they don't need anybody. See, Jesus looks around at everybody and, and, and he faces, uh, all the faces that he sees, he, he's just moved deeply because he cares. This, this word, uh, compassion, uh, literally means that he is, he's torn up inside. He feels it in his gut. He is racked with emotion because Jesus feels their pain. I think it's important for us to remember that about our Savior, that, that our Lord knows what we are going through, and he feels our pain. He's not, he's not indifferent. He's not uh, apathetic. He is, is, it's not just that he kind of feels bad, like he's going to send us a th- sympathy card so he can show us a little bit of, uh, of pity. It, it, no, no, no. It's, it, it's that he hurts when we hurt. And when he, when he looks out and he sees the crowd, he has compassion, the text says, because they were harassed and helpless. That word uh, harassed literally means to be, to be flayed, to be skinned alive. So when, when Jesus looks out at these people, what he sees are, are people that have been bullied and, and, and beaten up and, and tortured and mutilated. And, and, and it says they were helpless. That word means they were just flung to the ground and, and, and abandoned. They're, they're lying there and they can't get up and they can't do anything about it. And, 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 and obviously, Jesus, he's using these words figuratively because I'm, I imagine that some of the people that are in that crowd, they didn't think their situation was that bad. But when Jesus looks out, he knows better than all of us. Because he knows that sin destroys. And there's nothing that we can do about it. So Jesus looks at these people and cares for them because he knows that some of them are hurting deeply. I think about some of the people that you know, some of the people that you know and love and come into contact with on a regular basis. They feel that, don't they? Some of the people that you're thinking of right now, they're wallowing in misery and suffering with deep wounds and hurts and they kind of lost all hope in life. You know some people like that? Here's the reality, though. Whether they feel it or not, their situation is worse than any of them realize. Because sin destroys and it brings judgment. That's what Jesus saw. They're harassed and helpless. It says, like sheep without a shepherd. That just means they don't have anybody to lead them. That's really an indictment on the spiritual leaders of that day because they're the ones that are supposed to be taking care of Israel. But uh, this is really a metaphor that would have made a whole lot of sense in New Testament times. And and I saw this while I was in Israel. I snapped a couple of pictures, and, and, and here's one. This, this would just make more sense to you when you see it. Here, here's a picture of uh, a, a shepherd that is, ta- do, we ha- do we have that? There's a shepherd taking care of some sheep. And you can just kind of look out there in the field, and, and you realize how difficult it might be for them to find grass to eat. They need somebody to help take care of them. And then there, there's another one here. They're climbing on the rocks. These, these were all over the place. And you can just tell it's kind of dangerous for them to be all alone because sheep were completely dependent on a shepherd. If they didn't have somebody who was leading them, 
then, then what happens is they end up just eating all the grass in this area and they can't find any other. There's nothing else to eat and they won't find water to drink. And if they don't have somebody who's taking care of them and, and guarding and protecting them, then they're vulnerable to attacks from wild animals. And, and honestly, they don't stand a chance. They're not going to make it on their own. This is not exactly a, 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 a pleasant metaphor. What he's trying to say is sheep are, are dumb and helpless and needy. And so when Jesus looks out at these people, what he sees is, man, if, if, if these people don't have somebody who steps up and, and, and leads them and guards them and takes care of them, they're not going to make it. These people aren't going to make it. Moses actually felt this as well. In the Old Testament, right before Moses was going to die, he kind of sensed this need for Israel to have a leader who was going to take care of them once he was gone. And so in, in Numbers, I've got this for you on the screen, Numbers chapter 27, here's what he prayed. He said, uh, let the Lord appoint a man over the congregation who shall... Uh, go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord, listen, listen, may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Sound familiar? So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. See, Moses recognized, like, once I'm gone, they're going to need somebody who's taking charge, who's kind of leading them. And so Joshua became the shepherd for these people. He became a type for Christ because his name, Joshua in Hebrew, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. It's the Old Testament name for Jesus. It was pointing the way to the true Shepherd And Jesus is the one who says, John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, when Jesus looks out at this crowd, he sees the problems. He knows that they're a mess. They don't even realize how desperate they are. But he cares for them. So much so that he would give his life. He would step in and die on a cross in their place just to save them from their sin. Jesus cares about the lost. So the real question that we're confronted with then is, do we care about the lost like Jesus does? Does it, does it tear you up inside when you see other people that are, that are hurting and suffering and blind to the truth? And, and, and when you realize that unless they turn to Christ, they're not going to make it. There's no hope apart from Christ. And when's the last time that that, that, that that reality really sunk in when you started thinking about your neighbor? Or you thought about that girl that parks next to you? Or you thought about um, your coworkers at the office or, or the guys in your fantasy league or your siblings or your parents, your friends back home? Or even the people you run into, like, like, like the guy at the grocery store or the barista at Starbucks or that waitress at the restaurant. I mean, these people need Jesus desperately. And do you care? I think um, disciples of Jesus care about the lost just like he did. In fact, we saw that in the New Testament. And so we see that in the life of Peter. I'd ask you, do you think you have the same heart as Peter? In, in Acts chapter 3, 
Peter was walking by a lame beggar who is asking for money. And he could have walked on by. I mean, how many times have we walked by somebody who was poor and needy and we didn't stop to help, we didn't really do He could have just let it be. But he cared about that lost man enough to stop and look him right in the eyes. And he said, listen, I don't, I don't have any silver or, or gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And God worked powerfully through Peter because he was moved with compassion and he cared about that lost man. You also see it in Paul. Do you have the same heart as Paul? I mean, Paul was like tortured and agonized over his fellow Jews who rejected their Messiah. In fact, I've got this for you on the screen. Here's what he said, Romans uh, chapter 9. Uh, listen to these words as he thinks about his uh, fellow Jews uh, that, that, that are rejecting uh, Jesus. Here's what he says. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I mean, how many of us could say that? For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. And of course that's not going to happen, but, but he felt that weight for, for, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I mean, do you feel pain like that when you see people that are rejecting Jesus? I think i got to be honest with you. If uh, maybe some of us are not sharing the gospel with people because we just don't care. We don't care about them. You care about the lost? Yes? No? See, I don't think you can check yes if you're not sharing the gospel. And until Christ does a work in our heart to maybe break us of some self-centeredness that we have going on and and break our hearts over the lostness around us, then evangelism's just going to be an option to you that maybe, hopefully, you'll get around to someday. Unless you care about the lost. Do you care? How, how, what, what does it look like for you to care? That, that leads us to the second question. Uh, note this. Does the need move you? Does the need move you? Here's, here's the need. Here's what he says, verse 37. He says, the harvest is plentiful. So now he's switching metaphors, okay? We were talking about sheep. Now we're talking about agricultural farming. Um, and, and he says, the harvest is plentiful. Not, not really talking about the harvest season or the harvest time as much as he's talking about the crop itself, Okay, I understand this. I grew up in the cornfields of Ohio. And uh, in fact, we were there. We were driving through. Last week, we had an opportunity to go through my hometown. And, and, and we were driving through all the cornfields. And we saw the, the, the combines out in the field. Kind of looked like most of it had already been brought in. But the, the farmers are always hoping for a big harvest, for a lot of crops. And, and, and what does he say? What does Jesus say about this harvest? He says, the harvest is what? It's plentiful. You know what that means? It means there are a lot of people who are ready to be reaped into the kingdom that are ready to give their lives to Christ. Problem is, some of you don't believe that. Because you're like, it doesn't seem like that to me. Like, I mean, I've 
never led anybody to Christ personally. It seems like uh, most people don't want anything to do with him. And while I would say yes, like it's, it's, it's easy to be you know, discouraged by the numbers because comparatively, more people are going to reject Christ than believe in him. But still, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, get out the combine. A big harvest is coming. Do you see, do you see the need? Jesus, Jesus also says in John chapter 4, I want you to see this, it's on the screen. We've looked at this text before, I love it. John 4, 35, he says, look, I tell you, come on, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I pray this for our church, that God would help us to believe that, that, that he would help us lift up our eyes and look out and look around in northern Virginia and in D.C. and all of this area and believe there's a harvest here. There are people that are ready to respond to the gospel. The need is great. But it's even greater because look at what he goes on to say, verse 37. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but problem, the laborers are few. Okay, so he's drawing a contrast between uh, the size of the job and the number of workers that we have. Now, some of you have probably experienced uh, this feeling um, if, if somebody ever asked you to help them move. Has that ever happened? And, um, and so let's just say on moving day, uh, you show up to help somebody out, and you're going to be loading all of their boxes and all of their furniture onto the truck, and you're realizing, like, this is a huge job. I mean, they've got some heavy furniture that we're going to have to do. And, and it, honestly, it would be no problem if 10 guys showed up. That's no, no big deal. But the problem is only you and one other guy showed up. So what do you do? Well, obviously, you're going to help. But first of all, you're going to get out your phone. You're going to call some buddies. You're going to be like, bro, you got to get over here, man. We've got a big job. De desperately need your help, okay? There's just a ton of furniture. Can you get? And you're hoping that, that when these guys hear the need, they're going, to they're going to realize they can just put football away, and they're going to come and help you out. Hey, Harvest, we've got a big job. Fairfax County is over a million people. There's six and a half million people in the D.C. metro. There are so many people here who don't know Christ, and we believe there's a harvest here. The problem is there's only a few that are getting out into the fields and sharing the gospel. Are you one of the few? So let's... Let this be the phone call that you get. Hey, 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 we need some help. We need some help. We've got a really big job. Does, does the need move you? Do you feel a sense of responsibility to this, that this is our call? Can I ask you this? Because this has been uh, bugging me. Does it bother you when you haven't heard about anybody giving their life to Christ in a while? And I love, it's fun when you hear about somebody that just gave their life to Christ and, and, and understood their need and, and have trusted him for salvation. That's, I love hearing that. Does, does it bother you when you haven't heard that in a while? Because it bothers me. Honestly, it bothers me more when it doesn't bother me. Because I'm not thinking about it. But if we care about the lost, 
then, then, then I'm, man, I, I, I know there, there are people here who are ready to give their lives to Christ. Why are, why are we seeing more of that happen? And, man, that ought to move us to say, I want to help. I want to be used. Does the need move you? Here's, here's the third question. Um, are you praying for the harvest? Are you praying for the harvest? Here's what he says to do, verse 38. Uh, Therefore, meaning if that's the case, that there's a really big job but not enough workers, then here's what you do about it. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Meaning this, guys, the harvest needs to change our prayer life. Our prayers every morning should look a little different when we've got this on our minds. And, and, and I want you to notice how you pray and, and what you pray for. Here's, here's what he says. I want you to pray, but not just pray. Pray earnestly. That, that means asking and, and begging. There's some urgency to this. Like, God, please do this. Not, not, just a, not just a casual checklist item that you tack on to the end of your prayers. Like, an, oh, yeah, and, and, and can you also send some people out? No, no, no. There's, there's some fire. There's some passion here because you see the need and you care about the lost. God, you've got to do this. So he says, pray earnestly, but notice who you're praying to. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Remember that you're praying to the one who can do it. He's the one. He is the one who saves sinners. That's not your job. You you, you don't have to bring them to salvation. Only he is the one who causes the growth, who, who draws them and calls them in and brings them to salvation. So when I acknowledge him as the Lord of the harvest in my prayers, what I'm doing is just recognizing he is sovereign. He is in control. And I'm asking him to do the work of saving people. And then I'm trusting that he always does what's right. Honestly, I think this should be really encouraging for us. Because yes, the need is great and, and, and that ought to be a, uh, give us a burden to get after this mission, but, it, but, but it's his harvest. And he's the Lord of it. And so you pray earnestly. It doesn't mean that, that uh, because it's his, none of us really have to go and he'll just take care of it all. He, he's sending us. He wants to use us and so we can trust him in this. Our confidence is in him, not in our own resolve, not, not in our own abilities. Like, I'm going to wow, I'm gonna, I'm, I've got this great leading question. No, no, no. Our, our confidence is in the Lord of the harvest, and we pray with urgency, knowing that he can do it. It's going to change your prayer life. Notice what you're praying for specifically, though. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God sends courageous believers to evangelize the lost. Pray specifically, by name. Pray for pastors. Pray for church planters. Pray for missionaries and missions teams and small group leaders and ministry team leaders. But, but, listen, listen. Also, pray for your brothers and sisters who are on the front lines in, in the darkness, in the workforce, in their neighborhoods, the people in our church, the people in your small group, your brothers and sisters that have opportunities to, to be bold and courageous in opening up their mouths and telling people about Jesus. Are you, are you praying for that? Doesn't that change our prayer life a little bit? A lot of times we just spend a lot of time praying 
about what I got going on and what I need God to do in my life. And, but see, if we've got the need and we've got the harvest in mind, we're going to pray, God, would you send out laborers into this harvest? But I got to warn you, okay? I don't think that you can pray for God to do that and not feel your own responsibility to the mission. Because if you're praying, God, God, send out laborers into the harvest, you should be and could be the answer to that prayer. So the last question is this. Are you living sent? Yes or no? I don't know if there's much middle ground on this. Are you living sent? God, send out labors. In fact, listen to what Jesus says. You, you know this, and, and I've shared this with you. I've got it for you on the screen. John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Who's he sending? The labor, the work, starts with courageous evangelism. So, have you been telling people about Jesus lately? I mean, honestly, this is such a simple message, isn't it? What, have you been sharing the gospel lately? When, when's the last time you shared the gospel? Can I just tell you, if it's been a long time, or if you've never done that, you're not living sent. And something needs to change. And my heart is encouraged by those of you who are doing this and getting after this and want to say, I want to love Christ. I want to live sent. And I want to I I equip you just a minute, okay? I don't often do this, but um, I want to help you because I know that some of you keep your mouth shut more often because you just have a sense of like, I, I'm afraid that if I do try to say something, I'll say the wrong thing, or I won't know how to answer any of their questions, I don't even know how to start the conversation, well, if that's you, then why don't you start by praying? Remember that you're praying to the Lord of the harvest. Ask God to give you the courage. Ask God to give you the boldness. Ask him to give you the wisdom to know how to take a conversation and turn it to things about the Lord. And then once you're in those conversations, can I encourage you? Just use Scripture. Let God's Word speak for itself. Open up John 3.16. Read it to them. It won't take you long to help explain that to them. Or, or you can do this. Google the Romans Road. I mean, some of you have used that for years. I've used that multiple times. You just start opening up the book of Romans and helping people understand the gospel starts in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all, we're all sinners. We miss the mark. And the problem is, chapter 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. We deserve judgment because we're sinners. But, it says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can have eternal life through Jesus. Why? Because chapter 5, verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died on the cross in our place. Chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can can be saved today. See how easy that is? You just use scripture, start a conversation, and then share your story. Share, Share what God has done in your life, how he's changed you. Maybe that's the next step for you this week is to Try to engage in a conversation with that person that you've been thinking about because you care about them. Try to turn the conversation to things of the Lord. But I think all of us can take the next step of inviting somebody to church. Can you do that? So, so here's, I, I, that's not exactly evangelism, but it's a good way to get them here so they can hear the word of God. They can hear the gospel. And so I, I want to encourage you. In fact, we have uh, some of these invite cards. You've seen these right out in the front. We've got them on the table right in front of the orange sign. Would you just do this for me? Take one of these today and invite one person to come with you to church next Sunday. Let's hear God's word. I want to get after this church. I want to be creating a culture of invitation, a place where we welcome people to hear what God's word has to say, but we are going out to them. You have one job. We want to be faithful to be making disciples, and it all starts with courageous evangelism. Just praying that God is going to help us to get after this and uh, that he's going to give us fruit in this as well. Father, I thank you so much for our church. I love this family. I love what you're doing here. I love being a part of the mission here. You've placed us in one of the most strategic areas of the country, maybe one of the most strategic areas in the world. And uh, we love this community. And we want to see God do a powerful work here. And we recognize that this is a big job. It's a very simple job, but for some of us, it's really hard. And so I'm praying to the Lord of the harvest that you're going to remind us that you are sovereign and that you are in control and that everything you do is good and we can trust you. I thank you that it's not up to us to save people. That's your job. But what a cool thing that you would call us to be a part of your work and give us purpose for our lives. So I'm praying that you're going to empower us to be thinking about that one person, maybe it's our neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member. There's somebody, Lord, that needs to know you. I pray that you would stir in our hearts a heart of compassion to care enough to open up our mouths and to be bold, courageous witnesses for you. And God, as we do this, I pray that we're going to be faithful, but I pray also that we would be fruitful. You said that you are glorified by this, that we bear much fruit, and so we pray that you would do it. And we thank you that we can trust you for that. Give us courage, give us boldness, and may we see more people trusting you for salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.